Today's sermon is entitled, Understanding the Justice of God. Understanding the Justice of God. And you know, I've been on this series of understanding God for six weeks, going through the various components of God. And if you go to the website, you can get those prior messages. This week we're on the justice of God, a single, single characteristic of justice, perfect justice. Not like man's justice, but perfect justice. And let me give you an example of the juxtaposition of man's justice with God's justice. And I think I'm a, a good enough expert to speak about this after spending 40 years in court and having everybody that goes to court coming to me and say, the only thing I want is justice. And I can tell them, well, that's probably the last thing you're going to get. <laughs> because almost never is justice done in court. Only once in a while by accident. Uh, and I'll give you an example out of my own life, which I have many of them, but this is a good one. When I was about 38 years old, I was hired by the Stroh's Brewing Company to uh, defend them at their uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania facility, which was the largest taxpayer in the county. They had a significant tax burden there. They asked me to file suit and get their taxes lowered to prove that they had been unjustly treated. And so I tried this case for eight days in front of a judge who I thought was fair-minded. And in fact, halfway through the trial, the judge's assistant came out to me. This is halfway through the trial, and he said to me, Mr. Garippa, is your father still alive? And I was 38. And I said, yes, he is. He goes, well, he must be very proud of you. I'm thinking, wow. They never say this. This is good news. We're going to win this case. Uh, and then the verdict came out. Not only did we lose, but they doubled the taxes on the property. Uh, it was so brutal that they had a story about it on the radio. And so I'm getting calls from people from that area of Pennsylvania telling me that they just heard about my case on the radio. And you can imagine what that was like to hear that and how it destroyed me. Uh, it was absolutely unjust, improper. And I only found out later that the judge was running for re-election. And so you see, he knew that if he had given them the victory, if he had given us the victory and set the taxes at its proper level, that other people in the county would pay more money. And that probably was an issue for him as he ran for election. He wasn't interested in justice. He was interested in his own self-preservation. Well, that case went up to the appellate courts and eventually made its way to the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania. Uh, and I remember uh, preparing for a month for that presentation in front of the seven justices of the Supreme Court because uh, in many ways I knew that my career was on the line. And as I prepared, I got up to the podium just like this and I'm making my, preparing my argument that I had spent a month preparing. And after about 60 seconds, the Chief Justice said to me, Mr. Garippa, we understand your case and your position. We don't have any more questions for you. Is there anything you think you need to add? No. And that's when you have to learn, as a lawyer, when to shut up. And they went out and they attacked my adversary with everything but a pipe. 
as they absolutely ridiculed his position, totally reversed, totally reversed, and millions of dollars came back uh, to my client. I remember the headlines in the front page uh, of the papers, and it was, it was gratifying. But that took four years. It took years off my life. You understand? Believe me. Uh, and a couple years later, I had a heart attack. Uh, and I often think it's the scar tissue of these events that builds up in your life. No, there is rarely justice in this world. But with God, there is justice. There is justice all the time, as he is pure. Justice that governs the world, both for the saved and for the unsaved. A key scripture on this issue is found in Genesis 18, verse 25, where Abraham will talk to God about being just as he's about to wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. And there he says there, Far be it for you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it for you, from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And let me tell you, yes, the judge of all the earth does right. And so as he negotiates with God, 50 righteous men, 40 righteous men, 30 righteous men, 20 righteous men, and finally 10 righteous men, and he stops. And I want you to know that if he got down to one righteous man, God would have honored that. Because God is just. What an amazing statement for Abraham to make to God. Uh, as he outlines the very character of God. Other, utter justice. Certainly we know that God will not, will not destroy the godly with the ungodly, even as Abraham articulated that position. And so, however, those of us who do believe in God then often face difficulties in this issue. We have to explain our own feelings of anger and disappointment, and we have to answer the questions of others on that same level. Uh, how can you believe in God, uh, especially a good and just God, when there is so much lack of justice in this world? That's a question. If life isn't fair uh, and God created life, then how do you know that God is fair? And how do you know that God is just and that you are not going to get a raw deal from him? How can you believe in the wisdom of God when he allows bad things to happen to good people uh, and good things to happen to bad people? How can you trust God when the world he controls is so obviously unfair? Have I pretty much covered all those issues? All those things that you've lived with, all those things that you've probably questioned yourself as you've gone through life, these questions, you see, resonate within us. They resonate within us. Even if we've experienced years of God's faithfulness in our lives, when we go through some of these difficult start, dark patches uh, and we get a raw deal once in a while, we begin to question God. And so in order to answer these questions, we have to have a deep understanding of the fundamental justice of God, the attribute of God in justice. Now, the theologian Tozer, who I've quoted from time to time, says the following about the justice of God. Justice embodies the idea of moral equity. Judgment is the application of equity to moral situations. It may be favorable 
or unfavorable according to whether the one under examination has been equitable or inequitable in heart and conduct. It's very simple. Justice means that people are going to get what they deserve. That's how God works. You will get what you deserve. There will be no courtroom tricks with God. There will be no smart lawyers when it relates to God. Uh, he knows every intimate detail of every factual situation. Now, the first two chapters of Genesis tells us about the beginning of time and really the universe. In those days, God presided over a perfect environment. The first humans you see in the Garden of Eden had regular access to God. They were there in the garden as God walked in that garden. But in Genesis chapter 3, and you can read it at home, Adam and Eve fall under the influence of a fallen angel named Lucifer. Uh, and they challenged the authority of God over his creation. And as a result of that rebellion, sin entered into the world and into every human thereafter. And the whole history of humanity and creation itself changed as God judged our rebellion. Uh, and so Revelation chapter 20 serves as the bookend uh, to that story about a just and loving God working out redemption for a fallen world. Now here's the key. Our world is already under judgment. Not a single moment of life in this world is untouched by sin. Uh, that is why it is critically important to understand how a perfect, just God operates in this type of system that has been corrupted, you see, by rebellion. The judgment of God is clear in Scripture. You see it time and time again. God judges Cain uh, for Abel's murder. God judges the world uh, for the epidemic of sin that led to the global flood. God judges again the arrogance of humanity of the people at the Tower of Babel. Over and over and over again, God judges humanity for its sin and rebellion. Now, you also know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah as God judged them. Uh, it's the story of Abraham is 10 centuries, you see, before the commandments. Um, and the father of our faith, living in a polytheistic world, uh, instinctively knows something about the character of God. And so he says to God, will the judge of all earth not judge righteously? On that basis, he intercedes for the life of Lot, his family, and any remaining righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. And God was willing to withhold his judgment based on that intercession, as long as there were a core of righteous people. Well, of course, there were not a core of righteous people. Evil had taken over that entire city. And so uh, Abraham understood what it meant to worship a God that is just in an unjust world. Now, it, be it becomes clear, certainly to me, and I hope to you as well, that the Bible's proclamation of God's work as a judge uh, is part of the witness of his character. It is the very essential 
part of the character of God. It shows us in his heart that he longs to have justice. And it also shows us that in his heart there is a fundamental aspect of retribution. You will get what you deserve. The rendering to people of the evil that they have committed. Uh, and this is the essence of a judge's task, to weigh the facts, to judge the facts fairly. And this is what God does, to reward good with good and evil with evil. It is natural as a specific characteristic of God. Now, the heart of the concept of judgment is this. Everyone will get what he or she deserves. God is a righteous judge. And though the world is not fair, God is between this life and the life to come. We are sure, absolutely assured, that God will prove to us in every way that he is righteous. Furthermore, we are humbled, you see, as we look at the world history uh, and the dispensation of God's justice. God continually gives people time and delays justice in order to give people time to change or repent. This is very clear. God does not immediately act. He waits and waits and waits, sometimes far longer than we want. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3 on this issue, verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We have to understand that it's sometimes, though, the wrath of God is dispensed. Uh, look at Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. No one has an excuse for doing evil. God has made it clear he has given us consciences that are pricked based on what we know. And so the wrath of God is being dispensed uh, to people that act in a godless way. You ought to know this even every day as you watch the news or read the newspaper and your heart is burdened by what you see in this world. And this world is a mess. But I want to assure you that God will eventually make it right. You see, God has revealed his justice into the human heart. All people, regardless of their religion, regardless of their morality, know that they have fallen short of God. They know it. They are convicted. Their consciences know it. Look also, you see, in Romans chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, it focuses on people who have nothing but an internal 
sense of right and wrong. They have not been coming to God yet. They're not saved. They don't know Jesus, yet God has given them an internal clock to recognize what is right and wrong. Look there at that passage. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. No one is exempt. It doesn't matter whether you don't have the Ten Commandments, whether you've not met Jesus Christ. God has still given you a conscience. You know the ability to weigh right from wrong. He has imputed that into your very creation. And so all people in all places, even those who have never heard of the commandments, have an internal law that tells them what is right from wrong. And when they violate that law, you see, their conscience lets them know, and they feel guilty. Now, recognizing God as judge should be sobering to us. However, if we know that he is on our side uh, and has intervened for us, we can face him. We can face that judgment with confidence, as we know that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, which speaks to that issue. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. The righteous judge awarding you a crown uh, because you've come to salvation. Now, Scripture tells us also that the central reason for the cross itself was to show the entire world the very justice and character of God. Nothing speaks more potently of the character of God and his justice than the cross. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. All those people that sinned before Christ came, God did not punish them. He left them unpunished, waiting for Christ to come to the cross. And so there it is. Christ's death on the cross accomplishes something that could not take place any other way. God sent Jesus as your substitute. Now, Paul anticipates a question. Uh, about what happens to those people who lived before Christ. And you may get asked that question from time to time by describing God's forbearance. And forbearance is another word meaning to forget about, to put off, not following through. And so the cross of Christ, you see, covers both the past and the future. Christ's death atoned for those who trusted in God's plan and mercy even before Jesus came to this world, centuries later. 
Now, God satisfies all of the qualities of justice by placing Christ on the cross. He is shown to be supremely just by passing a sentence over all human sin and mercifully forgiving those who accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. Everything is forgiven for those who accept this free gift. There is no greater act of justice. I heard someone say it once before that in terms of God and Jesus Christ, it's as if you had the greatest defense attorney sitting next to you at the table. And then when judgment is about to be given, the defense attorney rises up and instead of making a statement to defend, says, I will take the pain. I will bear the sin. Where do you find this in any other context when you realize the greatness of God and the justice of God? And so the awesome, unsurpassing justice of God uh, is completely satisfied on the cross. When we think we can get right with God in any other way other than the cross of Christ, we fool ourselves. We fool ourselves. What God's justice demanded, his love provided. He did this at the cross. He bankrupted heaven, taking the darling of heaven and putting God himself as your substitute. Seeing God, you see, as he longs for us to see him, will always involve the cross. There is no other way. And so the final and most sobering way of God's justice is revealed in the promise of eternal retribution. Uh, and this is important to understand as well. If our debts and offenses involve an eternal being, uh, well, in that case, then retribution takes on eternal consequences as well. The Bible teaches us that this applies to both believers and non-believers, and I'm going to speak to you about that. Once we come to know Christ and accepted his free gift of atonement, we are a new creation. Yet God expects us to live a holy and righteous life. This is his expectation for us. Look, as you understand this, at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. By the grace of God, God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than that one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and that fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. This is an incredible passage that speaks about the fact that every believer will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, at that day, he's not judging you, but rather he's evaluating you. 
meaning you are saved. You will be with Christ forever. But he's looking at the quality of the work that you did. How did you advance the kingdom of God? Did you build on the work of God by gold and costly jewels? Or instead, did you do a lot of your own thing by wood, hay, and straw? What kind of steward were you? And in the justice of God, the wood, hay, and straw is burned up. It's of no consequence, you see. But what you did to advance the kingdom of God, according to his will, will continue, and God will reward you for that kind of stewardship. That's the kind of judge we have in God. And so those that end up in hell, despite everything that God has done, uh, know the question, know the answer to the question often asked. And here's the question. How could a good God send anyone to hell? Well, as this sermon has made it pretty clear, the answer is that God sends no one to hell. We go there on, their, on our own despite every single act of mercy and love and justice that has been given us. Instead, we reject every life preserver from God. He, he sends us all these things in a clear gift, and we refuse them and go there on our own accord. Uh, this becomes a significantly painful understanding for us. Now, there's another important lesson here on this issue uh, as it relates to the judgment of God. It's found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. And there it says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign God, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. And so what does this tell you? It tells you that there are martyrs, saints in heaven, asking God for justice for what has occurred unjustly in this world, even as their lives were taken. John's vision here is prophetic, uh, and it includes numerous believers who were slain for God in every possible way. This is a significant point to understand, because what it means is that, in essence, every disciple of Christ is in some way a martyr. It also means that Christians need to be faithful to the end, right to the end, faithfulness. The text will reveal that God will judge the world in the end for what he, the world has done to his people. The pain and suffering that has been inflicted on his people. And as the saints pray for vindication. And God takes it seriously. Let me assure you of this. That God takes it seriously. Uh, and he will repay those people that have persecuted uh, and killed uh, his people. Look, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith God. I will repay. This passage raises another important point for us 
as Christians, and that is this. Is it vindictive for the saints to be praying for vengeance? Well, let me speak to you about that. There is an important difference between people praying God, asking God to avenge themselves, as distinguished from people going out and wreaking vengeance on their own. God has not called you to do that. You cannot wreak vengeance on your own. You have to leave it to the justice of God. And as this sermon makes it crystal clear, God's justice is perfect. Now, when we try to avenge ourselves, it typically destroys us. Uh, only God, you see, has enough knowledge of all of the facts to understand exactly how appropriate and in what context justice ought to be delivered. Only God is loving enough to decide when enough time has lapsed for repentance to come to an end. And that's what it all is about, giving us time to repent. Now, here's an important point. Love itself would not be love if it never got angry at evil. Let me repeat that. Love itself would not be love if it never got angry at evil. At some point, even love must say, enough is enough. You understand? This passage teaches us that justice is important to us. And it's important to God. At some point, evil must be answered by the justice of God. Uh, because otherwise, God would not truly be just. So when we, when we really acknowledge uh, the depths of evil in this world, uh, it should prompt us to seek God's intervention. That ought to be our prayer. God, intervene in this world in every way. Yes, you should pray for the perpetrators to repent, but at some point, enough is enough. Not everyone is going to repent. In the end, God's judgments are intended to bring people to repentance. That's what it's about. That's what the cross is about. And so God's judgment takes in very practical implications for daily living for us in an unfair world. I know what it is to live in an unfair world, and that was my profession every day, seeing a lack of justice. Knowing that God alone is judge of everything should be our refusal to seek revenge. It's not your role to seek revenge. There are Christians today who are living, really living with bitterness and unresolved anger because of the pain that they have suffered. We have to learn not to take revenge, but to leave the act of justice to a perfect God. His word is clear. Look at Romans 12, verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, 
If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen, church? That's the essence of living with a just God. That's the essence of walking in faith behind this God. God will defend you. He will lift you up. He will give you justice. It may not happen as quickly as you want, but let me assure you it will happen. And so you can take comfort as a Christian knowing that whenever you encounter justice, God will take it into consideration. He will eventually balance the scales. You can take that to the bank. And so we need to meditate deeply on the reality of the judgment seat of Christ. When we finally get to heaven, what we want to hear Jesus say to us is, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. We want to point, have the Lord point to whatever we've done to lift up the kingdom of God, to use us as an example, even as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me assure you, as I bring this message to a close, God is just. He sees your pain. He sees your suffering. He balances the scales, and eventually he will move forward. But in his timeline, as he gives us all an incredible amount of time to repent, but at some time, he says, enough is enough. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the words that you've given us today. Lord, as we have delved deeply into your character, as we understand what it means to be truly just in an unjust world, Father, I ask you that we consider this message this week and we pray over it. And that if, in fact, we have some pain and bitterness in our heart in which we might seek revenge, that instead you take it away from us that we bow to you because you are the perfect judge. And we know and are assured that you will take our side. That is the case, Lord, today as we come before your throne. Bless our people. Be with them this week as they continue to grow in faith with you and understand you more and more in every possible way. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.